This is Adoption The Long View, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. I'm your host, Lori Holden, author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption. Join me as we take a closer look at what happens after you adopt your child and begin parenting them. Your adoption journey isn't over then, it's just beginning. In this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of thought-provoking and influential guests as we help you make the most of your adoption journey. Like any trip worth taking, there will be ups and downs and challenges. Here's what you're going to wish you'd known from the start. Ready? Let's go. Well, hello, everyone. It's National Adoption Awareness Month, and I can think of no better way to honor it than to listen to an adoptee, especially one who is raising an adoptee. Our guest this month was adopted and grew up in the closed adoption era and is now an advocate of open adoption. As she tried to figure out how to parent in a way she herself was not parented due to how adoptions were done then, she was dismayed by the lack of early reader books about open adoption. When she didn't find what she needed, she decided to fill that gap. In doing so, children's book author Alison Olson is set on changing the adoption narrative from the lucky child to the loved child. I'm so pleased to have with us adoptee slash adoptive parent slash children's book author Alison Olson. Welcome, Alison. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to see your face today. I I wish everybody else could see. Um, We're having a good time this morning. So Allison was born in 1979, and she has a unique perspective. She was part of a closed adoption, which is why she wants to celebrate open adoption and make sure there are adoption books that reflect the birth mother and adoptive parents in a positive light to help normalize this loving relationship. Allison lives in Oregon with her husband, two daughters, and their cat named Howie Meowie. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) So let's start with your entrance narrative. You have two of them. One is an adoptee and one is an adoptive parent. Start with how you, your being adopted story and, um, and whether or not you're in reunion with your, your birth parents. Sure. So both my adoption and my daughter's adoptions, they're both domestic infant adoptions through an agency. So that's where we have similarities. But as you mentioned, the big difference is that mine is closed and I do use present tense with that and hers is open. And so mine, I was born in 1979 and my parents adopted my brother. He is a year and a half older. And the the second question we always get, no, we are not biologically related. And so they went on a wait list where they assumed it would take years, right, to get a call for for another baby. And so I was was a surprise. Uh, likely a surprise to birth mom as well, but I was a surprise to them. They got the baby born call, which which is what it's called when I was at the hospital. And so um, the story my mom would always tell was that as they were driving to the hospital to pick me up, she was frantically calling her dad, my grandfather, and said, go out and buy another crib because my brother was still in a crib. <laughs> he, he was still quite young. And so she's like, go out, buy a crib, put it together. <laughs> we've got a baby girl coming home. So everyone was really excited. And obviously the whole family pitched in and they put together the nursery while they were at the hospital. So, yeah, so that was exciting. And growing up, having an older brother who's adopted as well, also infant adoption, we always talked about adoption. It was very normalized in our household, right? So it wasn't anything we couldn't ask questions about. It wasn't anything we didn't understand. And in fact, you know, it, it was interesting. I, I always think of the story. I had a little play date where a friend came over and I was telling her all about adoption and I felt terrible because she started crying because, you know, we, 
we had just heard all this, this narrative for so long because she was like, well, my parents must've only loved me for nine months before I was born. I'm like, oh yeah, my parents loved me for like five plus years because back then it took five to seven years on a wait list before you would get a phone call to uh, be placed with the child and then later go through adoption. And so you know, going through, I realized that a lot of adoptees have different experiences, different experiences than I had. But even a few years ago, I read the book, The 20 Things Adoptive Kids Wish Their Parents Knew. And I read through all of it. And I felt like my parents knew all of those things and they did a really good job. It's really interesting when you think about that, because I grew up in the 80s, right, where adoption wasn't mainstream. It wasn't necessarily normalized. Adoptions from Korea were very big back then. I know in my hometown, uh, most of the other adoptees that that we would hang out with were coming over internationally. But yeah, I mean, I would say that I think they did a really good job. And then when I was an adult, so you were asking if I have met my biological family, when I was in my late 20s, I don't know what necessarily propelled it, right? So I don't have anything I can point to. But it was interesting that it took a few years to actually go through the full process. And then when I met my birth mom, I was the same age that she was when she had me. She was in her uh, early 30s when she had me. And so that was quite interesting. So one thing I think that a lot of people don't know, because first of all, they think closed adoption versus open, they think it's a coin flip. And it's not. So closed is definitely one thing. And then open is this huge spectrum, right? And so I've heard sometimes people say, um, the birth family of my child, you know, no longer uh, is calling us or whatever. So we're in a closed adoption. It's not, it's not true. So closed adoption is, is legally that adoptees have almost no information, definitely not a name. So they have no information they could actually go off of to find their birth family. And that is a major difference between someone maybe not being in a current place to have a relationship or um, wanting a relationship, different things like that. And so so with closed adoption, um, I think it's important for listeners to know, you know, I'm 43 years old. And legally, my original birth certificate is still sealed by the courts. And so what does this mean? So for anyone uh, listening that's not aware, so for adoptees, even still today, even for our daughter, our original birth certificates that list out the birth mom and birth father are amended. And what that means is those names are completely erased and replaced with the adoptive parents. Kind of weird, right? I mean, you know, like even with our daughter, we're like, we did not give birth to her. That like this is this is this is silly. Seems like they could just add a few lines personally, but to, to <laughs> accurately reflect what actually happened. To accurately reflect what actually happened, exactly. And nowadays there are, thank goodness, much more adoptions that are open than there are that are closed. So, so with that, you would think that, you know, we, we could push legislation and maybe get some extra lines on that birth certificate, but it's important to note, and every state differs with their, with their laws. And so I was born and adopted in the state of Illinois. So we live in Oregon right now, but born and adopted in the state of Illinois. And so, you know, 13 ish years ago, uh, when I was starting the search, I had to go through a lot of red tape. And, um, and in fact, even then this, it's like, it's just shocking to think about how, um, 
long it takes things to, to open up and to get to this point, the whole system they had set up was brand new to even find birth families. So it, it was brand new. There was a registry. So first you have to like put your name on a registry. You have to wait six months. You like put your name on a registry, wait six months to see if anybody else is looking for you. If somebody's name was already on the registry, you could immediately be connected to them. And it's no problem. Otherwise you sit there for six months. So that's why this whole process takes like two years of red tape because of that. And then they go through and do investigation on their side because they know all of your information. So you are constantly making a phone call to someone who knows all your information and won't give it to you. And it's like that, that's what I think is important for people to know and why I'm an advocate for open adoption, any form of the scale, you know, knowing a first and last name, that's a huge deal. That is the process that adoptees go. And each state is so very, very different, right? So New York, basically, if you were adopted in New York and you were born in New York, you go to the library there, the big New York public library, and you go to this room with all of these huge books and you have to look up the exact hospital date and time that you were born. So those things have to be accurate that you've given information on. Some information we get is not always accurate. And then you have to look through and you're going to have thousands of potential names of people. And then you have to search from there. And so I will say that having DNA services available now, like the Ancestry 23andMe and, and others, those are important for adoptees in, in their searches to try to get more concrete information. Yeah, I think Massachusetts and New York and several other states have now joined Colorado. Colorado, maybe seven years ago, opened up records to adult adoptees equal to non-adoptees. So I'm really happy with my state. And the gentleman who helped propel that through, I interviewed him on episode 104, Rich Erlob. If And I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to listen. And the reason I bring that up is because What you're doing for me, Allison, right now is you're kind of crystallizing for me the difference between the closed adoption era and the open adoption era in a different way than I've thought about before. The closed adoption era was one of shame and secrecy. Yes. And where we need to be in this open adoption era, we're not completely there yet. You know, it's a journey and I'm trying to accelerate it. You're trying to accelerate it. But rather than shame and secrecy, let's do this with truth and transparency. Let's let the records reflect what actually happened instead of fiction (laughs) on people's birthright, on people's vital records. Exactly. It's beneficial to everyone. You you know, it, it helps the, the adoptee, obviously everyone has a longing and an interest to know where they come from, right? Culture, nationality, everyone wants to know medical history, I mean, every doctor's appointment I've ever gone to, they want to know my medical history. There's probably um, a longing for seeing your face in people's face. That's too. correct. I, I'm not an adoptee, but I, I've I've heard that enough that just seeing what you look like in somebody else's face is in, an incredible rush. Like just and and we take it for granted those of us who have that. You know, you exactly. you mentioned your parents uh, on your journey and uh, Sherry Eldridge's book, The Twenty Things. I make the difference, the distinction here a lot between open adoption and open nesson adoption and open adoption, meaning you have contact or maybe knowledge. And even in the absence of that, for your parents, 
they didn't or couldn't provide that for you, but they did provide a sense of openness. It sounds like you felt like you could come to them with your feelings about adoption. They understood that you would have feelings about it. You didn't have to squash them down and protect them and stuff like that. So I really appreciate that even in the absence of contact, you didn't have an open adoption, but your parents were able to provide you openness in your relationship with them. Exactly. And they were honest with everything that they knew. So they didn't know a lot. I got a one-sheeter with a few paragraphs. And my information differs from my brother because ours were slightly different types of adoption. So he got slightly more, but they've always shared that document with me. And now it was put in a safe place, like where you put passports, birth certificates, stuff like that. But I always had access to it. So if I ever wanted to read this one shooter and know more about me and my, you know, it, it just had general stuff like general appearance explanation. You know, we think they're this height and this weight and this color hair and this color eyes and that kind of stuff and hobbies and interests. I could read it at any point. And this was, this was from early on. And so I think even with wherever adoptive parents end up, whether it's closed adoption or somewhere on the open adoption spectrum, honesty and openness um, at an age appropriate level is, is very important. And I think some people wonder, what exactly do you mean by openness if you don't mean contact? And I think a, a companion word to that would be curiosity. If your yeah. child is having curiosity about something, join them in that. I love that. that. Is like they're sticking out their hand to you, wanting to take you and show you something. You take their hand and you go with them. So, I, I so uh, would you now, Allison, tell us about your um, journey to being an adoptive parent? Sure. So fast forward <laughs> several years, I met my husband in our early thirties and uh, one, a little bit of background with him. He also has been touched by adoption. So his mom was single mom. In fact, she was pregnant when she met um, his father. So his father later then adopted, adopted him. So, so between the two of us, we only know about a fourth of our biological makeup. We dated for three years. Uh, we got married and then um, about two years later, gave birth to our oldest, um, oldest daughter. And then life was busy, all the things. We do a cross-country move from Chicago out to Oregon. Took us a while to get settled with new jobs, with everything else. The next thing you know, I'm in my late 30s. And we're like, okay, we're, we're going to try again. And uh, it what didn't go as smoothly. <laughs> as we had expected. And, you know, our particular case was a little bit different than others, but the, the important part was, you know, secondary infertility, right? So we just could not have a viable pregnancy. So we kept getting pregnant and we kept losing those babies. And so after the third one, um, you know, at, at like 12 weeks, I, I was like, that's it. And so we looked into all the other options and we just knew right away adoption was for us, right? So it was just like, eh, it was like, we're like, okay, here are the options. We're only going towards adoption just because, you know, if my connection with adoption and all of my extended family. So it's one thing that's kind of interesting too. If oftentimes if folks are adopted, they're in the extended family because infertility is kind of a genetic thing, right? Usually, which is why it's kind of odd to have an adoptee be an adoptive parent. So we have lots of adoption on my side of the family and on his, they had him. Um, and so, so they didn't have a ton, but 
he equally was with, with me, like, let's just jump into this. And this, this is, um, this is what we want to do. And then that's when we actually learned at the adoption agency more about open adoption. And that that is where everything has moved. And I just got really excited about it. So when we wrote all of our marketing material, our, you know, profile info, everything are like letters to the expectant mothers. That was the focus. We wanted to find someone that wanted to be in relationship with us and to have that closeness. And so, you know, it's long. Everyone everyone knows the process of adopting is long and thank goodness, right? Um, You know, it should be. The home study takes anywhere between six and eight months and then the marketing materials, all of that stuff. So you're looking at a year before you even are active and um, could even potentially be matched. And then um, uh, we were very, very lucky that our, our daughter's birth mom selected us early in her pregnancy. And so, you know, you call them expectant mothers before they, before they um, have the baby. So um, when she was an expectant mother, uh, we had five months to bond with her and it was wonderful. And we would have video chats with her and we would, you know, send texts and communicate. And we just, we quickly connected. And then we got the phone call in the middle of the night that she had gone into labor. We all jump up and we had a suitcase packed because I'm just like that. We were that excited. And then we flew to her state. She is located um, in a different state than us. And we flew there and made it in time for the birth. And it was, I would say, one of the biggest honors for me. She had me in the room with her when um, we welcomed our, and when I say our, I mean our, hers, her family, our family, our daughter into the world. And it was, it was really very special. It sounds very connective. And this, so let's go into your next creation that you actually did give birth to metaphorically. And that is your book, which is called Surrounded by Love. And it's brand new. It's only been out about two weeks. Is that right? Yep. The launch uh, was October 18th. Oh, oh, okay. For some reason I had September in my head. So anyway, it's already earned the mom, a mom's choice award. You're a recipient of that. So congratulations on that. Thank you. How, how did the book come about? In preparing for our daughter's birth and, and adoption, we did what most parents do. You know, you buy the, the crib, all the things, you set up the nursery. And then especially for adoption, you always buy the highly recommended adoption books, right? So I just thought, okay, what are the big books on the market? We'll buy these. I did not ever set out to be an author. And then I started looking through the books and I just, they were all missing big components to me as, as an adoptee. And so, you know, one of the components you already mentioned earlier was the birth mom, right? So oftentimes she was not illustrated if she was mentioned, she was only mentioned about her struggle so, you know, as, as I even said with, with mine, you know, we came to the table of adoption with, with struggle ourselves, right? So everybody kind of comes to adoption with that, but in these books, they were only focusing on her struggle and in young, young books like this, right? Where you're trying to explain to a, to a two-year-old, these are very big things. And, and I don't know why the, when I would read them, I didn't know why that was the focus, Right. You know, other books are about farm animals and it's the fun of the farm animals. It's not talking about how difficult it is to do farm labor and farm work, right? It's more age appropriate. And so, you know, seeing adoption through now two sides of the triad, 
I felt like there is so much love that surrounds this adoptee. And it, it just felt like it was missing in the books for me. And so what I wanted to do with this book, you know, it follows the journey of the adoptive parents wanting and yearning for this loved baby years before, you know, this child even existed. And then it follows the birth mom with the same thing. And, you know, the illustrations, you know, she's a main character. She always looks, you know, beautiful and well, you know, well kept, whatever the, the term is there. And it always shows her like lovingly touching on her pregnant belly. And it even says words like she loved you when you were tiny in her belly. And these are phrases that are not often said to adoptees. And I do want to give a caveat here. I know that that's not reflective of all adoptions. And this book is not going to be reflective of all adoptions, but if it is reflective of someone's adoption that I want it to represent that, right? So in these cases, I, I, I want it to represent that so that the adoptee can feel that love that maybe hasn't been spoken of prior. And then to show both of the family's excitement when they enter the world and, you know, just all of that. And, and another key piece that I did was in the decision to enter into adoption, as you follow the adoptive parents, I tried to normalize that with the birth mom so that it wasn't, she struggled, but the adoptive parents didn't struggle. It was, it's, it's a scene and it's a similar scene where the adoptive parents are staring up at the night sky, wishing, praying, meditating for this baby. And then later it's the birth mom staring up into the sky, wishing, praying, and meditating for the baby. And so, so those were some of the key, key elements that I wanted to, to bring into the book. I think you really, I, I have, I've had a chance to read the book and it's just so very dear. You really captured the ourness of it. And by that, I'm using O-U-R that you were talking about, the both and that I talk about so much. Can you give listeners the inside scoop about the way that your illustrator used color in the storybook? Yes, that's one of my favorite parts. So I found my illustrator online, but uh, one of the key things is, so besides the fact that I absolutely love her artwork, she really was able to capture all of the emotion when I would tell her about, so I would tell her, you know, here's the scene, but the emotion I want it to be more of relief than happiness or sadness or whatever, you know? And so like whatever, whatever emotion I gave her, she was able to really capture well to where you can feel the emotion when you read it. And I think that's because her brother is adopted. And so I think that she had a special connection as well to this book because of that. And so she put in her own element that I love. So each of the main characters has a color. So the birth mom you see wear pink throughout the book. The adoptive mom, she wears yellow. The adoptive dad wears blue. And so what she did as a subtle component is as this adoptee grows up, she wears each of those three colors in some capacity. And it just shows the impact, the lifelong impact that each of these three individuals has on the adoptee. I just really love that, that component of it. And that, that was brilliant on your illustrators. Brilliant thinking for her. What about birth fathers? That is an excellent question. So in both of my experiences, we do not have a birth father present. So, so in my, in my situation, I'm, I'm still not aware. I'm still not certain if he was ever aware of my existence um, in, in my case. And then for our daughter, 
he's pretty young. So I'm still hopeful that someday he will um, come around. He, the difference is we know who he is, right? And so when he is ready, we would love to have him as part of our hour for the situation. And so it's not out of possibility that I could write another book that included the birth father. I have, I've heard that from several different adoptive parents. I would just want to collaborate with someone who does have that lived experience. Yeah. And that brings me to, I noticed that this is called part one of your, in a series. So what else do you have planned for adoptive families? Maybe a birth father, if you find somebody with that lived experience, what, what else? Sure. I think there are a few different ones. So one, I'm going to do the same book, but make it more inclusive. So, so exact same wording, but two adoptive moms. Um, and then one that has two adoptive dads. And then the other piece because I know that you you mentioned it in the beginning, but I am I'm truly on a mission <laughs> to try to change the adoption narrative within children's literature from the lucky child to the love child. And I think the only way to do that, you know, first it's educating the adoptee, but then there's another step where there's, you know, we, we call them non-adoptees. They have no idea that's even their title, but to everybody else, they need to also be educated on adoption. Right. And so the book that I have that will be coming out next year is educating non-adoptees, young non-adoptees about adoption. And I think that's so helpful yeah. because so often in our in our adoptive homes, we don't ever say real parent, but the your child comes home because somebody there has said, who's your real mom? Um, because it's used out there. So I love that you're doing that. Yeah. And it answers some of those questions. So again, my goal is hopefully to take some of that burden or load off of the young adoptee to have to answer some of those questions. And I do think that parents nowadays, like they really want to educate their children on different diverse situations. Right. And so if there was a book out there that could teach their child about adoption, you know, it it could be helpful. We did an episode recently this season on entrance narratives and it covered this, but can you briefly talk about what is wrong with the lucky? What's wrong with lucky? Gotcha. That is a great question. And that is one of the, I always tell adoptive parents to get some canned answers. It's one that I have a canned answer for because I've had to (laughs) to hear about it for a while, but it's very prevalent for adoptive parents. So the lucky tends to be So it's always well-meaning to people. So we'll start with that. It's well-meaning people that just don't have the right education. They tend to tell the, either they tell the child or they tell the parent how lucky the child is to be with that family. And that is problematic, right? So, so we all know it more in the terms of, you know, the saviorism for parents and, you know, anything like that, where the child feels like they owe someone something. So to be lucky means like, I guess, I guess I don't really deserve these parents. I guess I don't deserve this situation. And I just, I just want to change that. Cause like in our situation, even when I look back at my situation, so we'll start, we'll start with our daughter. If she had stayed with her birth mom, she would have been loved. She would have been really loved. If she had gone to any of the hundreds of other hopeful adoptive parents waiting to adopt, she would have been loved. So who's the lucky one? We adults, we, the adoptive parents are the lucky ones. And so, so that's the major difference to me. Oh, that's a beautiful reframing. And and I think it's so easy for people to understand when you say it that way. And, um, 
for people to be a little bit more intentional with how they see it and how they speak about adoption. What would you say, Allison, to those who point out that not all adoption, open adoptions go as smoothly as the one in the storybook? Then they are correct, is what I would say. You know, no two adoptions are alike. They all can be very different. And like I said, um, open adoption is a scale or a spectrum, right? So from, you know, just having more information than nothing, right? Having a first and last name automatically puts you more into the open adoption bucket. And then there's like, you know, middle of the road where they're just exchanging pictures and letters through an agency, right? And then there's us, which again, we're not even to the most extreme. So because we live states away where we have this relationship and connection, but from afar, and there's others where, you know, I know these people and they live down the street and they have the birth grandparents babysit the children all the time. And so, so there it's, it's a scale. And in fact, it's going to change over time as relationships always do in those situations. You know, I would say, make sure that you find books and educations and whatever you are talking with your children about that are reflective of your story so that you're as honest and open with your children as possible. But again, it can be at an age appropriate level, right? So again, going back to, you know, I'm not saying that being an adoptee is sunshine and rainbows. People have listened to your podcast long enough to know that that's not the case. And so I just think, you know, I I think that it's just important to, to keep in mind, though, that for children's books, the farm example that I said. So if they're really, really young children, we're talking about farm animals. In a sense, the farm animals are cute and fun. We're not talking about that that's a, likely a 14-hour day of very hard labor to get that farm set up. So it's keeping those elements in mind so that they can have a strong foundation of knowing that they're loved. But again, making sure that you have the right the right materials for your situation. That farm analogy is such a good one. You're talking about early readers people who are just figuring out what parenting, parentage, all of that is, how their pieces fit together. And so this is not to explore in depth yep. everything. This is to to cuddle up with a trusted person and hear, yep. resonate with a story. So zooming out a little bit, this is November. November is National Adoption Month. I choose to call it National Adoption Awareness Month. Do you yep. have any thoughts on NAM? Yes. So... <laughs> I I know that we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier before we started the podcast. Um, The awareness word to me is the key. So I know that there are different opinions. I know that you've spoken about them before um, on your podcast as well, that adoptees have certain opinions, adoptive parents have certain opinions. Mine's going to be a little bit of a different opinion. I would love to see us use this month truly for awareness. So to get back to that educational piece for non-adoptees, again, they don't even know they're called non-adoptees, but I just think, you know, the language that I hear as an adoptee and now as an adoptive parent, because I do hear some slightly different things now, all of it is very old. So you think about how, um, you know, politically correct terms get kind of, you know, folks move along with the times and are kind of more generally saying things and in in, uh, moving in the right direction. With adoption, I feel like it's still stuck sometimes in 1950. And so the things that I will hear 
would floor other people that people feel that they have the right to say to me (laughs) as an adoptee, you know, well, how do you know you didn't marry your sibling? Were you a product of rape? Oh, excuse me. I just want to get my groceries, you know, and then it gets uh, kind of even more in depth with adoptive parents because I think they feel like, oh, because you you're not the adoptee we're talking about. We can talk in more detail. This is my child's story. This is none of your business. <laughs> this is their situation. They'll tell their story when they're old enough to whomever they feel comfortable. So I think there's a lot of awareness and education we could do across the board. I even hear comments from people, you know, I would like to go help out the orphans. And I say, there are no more orphanages in the United States of America. We have the foster system. So basic, basic education like that, I would love to see this be part of. So even like at my company, I'm part of the DE&I committee. I'm like, you guys, we got to put adoption as part of this on the list. And so I think that if we can start to push for this type of education, you know, again, like I said, I'm I'm trying from the young adoptee standpoint with this new book, if we can try with DE&I committees up at the top for adults, you know, whatever education we need to do so that everyone is speaking the positive adoption language and that everyone knows everything around adoption, like fully understands closed adoption. I think we could get more of the states to change over laws. That's where I would like to see November go. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. And if it wouldn't like pop my microphone, I'd just be clapping away. <laughs> and and I think you're right, Allison. The awareness really needs to come from adoptees, the lived experience of the product of the adoption process, where it all culminates. We need to know more about that so we can get it writer and writer. So I'm going to do a shameless plug on the, during the month of November. I have invited adoptees to take over my blog, and uh, which is lavenderloos.com. And uh, they're all addressing the question, what I wish adoptive parents knew. So I would encourage everybody to tune in November and beyond for that series and, and the various unique viewpoints. As you say, everybody has their own take on things and their own adoption, their own story about their own adoption and their take on adoption. And so let's listen to it. Let's figure out as many tiles in the mosaic that we can can take a look at starts to fill in the picture and we can understand it better the more we look. So I appreciate your thoughts on that. This is the last question, and it's one I'm asking for all season three guests. From your perspective as an adoptee and an adoptive parent, what's the most important piece of the long view of adoptive parenting that people miss on the front end? Mm, I would say helping to raise the child to be confident and have self-esteem around being adopted. I would think that that is, that is the key because then they can grow up and they can handle these tougher conversations with strangers, et cetera, with a bit more ease because they have that foundation set for them. So I would say that's one of the biggest pieces. It's not easy to get there. You know, there's the honestness, the openness, all of that information. So whatever information you have, making sure to relay it with the child, that curiosity that you mentioned, all of that goes into it, but making sure to build that foundation of confidence and self-esteem in the young adoptee, specifically around being adopted, I think is critical. 
And to be able to deliver that, it seems like the adoptive parent would need to be able to have that within themselves. So what are some, do you have any tips on ways to cultivate the ability to deal in the truth, especially if that's not where you came to adoption from and the ability to be curious about those other parents and that other life that the child might have lived. Are there some advice you might give to parents who are not naturally inclined with those traits? Sure. And it gets into the little bit of the, the blog that I wrote for you. I think the biggest thing to know is from my standpoint as the adoptee, you are the parent. You know, I, I think that that is the biggest thing. So as adoptive parents and, you know, and, and sometimes I know that some things can be um, misunderstood and misconstrued when, when reading different online forums from adoptees, because I've heard some adoptive parents say, you know, well, they're telling me I'm just a babysitter. Eh, I think, I think there might be some misunderstanding of what they're saying. The big thing is you are the parent. Nothing can undo those years you are sharing together. You are the one when they, you know, we were talking about my daughter's bike accident last week. You are the one they go to when they are hurt. You are the comfort, the foundation, the shoulder they're leaning on. You are the one when they, something exciting happens at school, they are rushing home to tell you. So have the confidence in yourself to know you are the parent and take the time to work on yourself, whatever self-care you need to have that confidence. And once you know that, then it, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like um, getting additional people right in your family. So somebody marries someone extra, you you don't lose a little extra love for other people in your family. You gain love for that new sister-in-law, that new brother-in-law, et cetera. And so that, that's what it is. So adoptees, we want to know our heritage. We want to know what holidays we should support. Are there other languages we should learn? You know, we want to learn about ourselves and that that's how we're doing it. Come along with us on that journey, that, that curiosity, but definitely know that no matter what, even if another strong relationship is formed, just the same as a teacher could be very inspirational to your child and they could have a strong relationship in that manner. Nothing, none of this takes away from that you are the parent. That's such wise advice to own it, own it from the inside. And if that is a challenge for you, be curious with that. Take a look, figure out what what is behind that. And then do as I as I say at least once every episode, do your own work, people. <laughs> Take a look at that. And to, to the degree that you can heal that within yourself, you're going to be able to walk alongside your child with all the things that they need to address and deal with. So thank you so much for that, Allison. And thank you so much for taking the time today. And thank you for reminding me that you are yours is going to be one of those essays for the month of November. And I'm so excited to to publish that and share that with people that and, and, and several others. So please tune in for that. And so Allison, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Special thanks to adopting.com for producing and sponsoring this podcast. Please subscribe, give this episode a rating, really helps us, and share with others who are on the journey of adoptive parenting so that more people join in for real talk on the complexities of adoption. With each episode of Adoption The Long View, we bring you guests who expand your knowledge of adoptive parenting. Thanks to each of you for tuning in and investing in your adoption's long view. May you meet everything on your road ahead with confidence, capability, and compassion, and maybe a little bit of curiosity. <laughs> <laughs>